Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Snell, joined, as always, by the Christmas present to my Christmas past. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how are you doing? Uh, I am feeling in the moment, and uh, I'm just thinking back on the 2020 of my brother. And our very own Jacob Marley. You thought you were going to be Christmas yet to come, didn't you? Uh, I thought that's, I was. That's, that's the Xmas dog. That's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, but I thought I was going to be the ghost of Christmas future because as far as the Seahawks go... All I want to do this episode is, is stand them. around and point. Like you're you gonna say, you're gonna say, "Wow, Pete Carroll really screwed things up," and then I'm gonna point to a game and you guys talk about it. As we all know, podcasting game. is visual medium, so that'll work. That's perfect. Oh yes, it will work so good. All right, well, let's get it out of the way. There were. Let's do the refereeing thing first because I think it's the thing that has to be done. That um, was it, so okay. Uh, you guys both know, everyone who listens to this podcast knows, there's nothing I hate more than complaining about refereeing because it is like so out of the control. of. It's like complaining the about players. the weather. Yes, it's like there's nothing you can really do about it. It's not anything the Seahawks can fix. Um, let's it start with the, something the NFL could fix. Let's start with the holding call. Uh, okay, do you know what this felt like, though? Remember like in the in the like the like the late. 90s when the NBA had a refereeing a betting scandal with the referees yep. and yeah, uh, this, there, was some, there was some and Donahue it, in this one yeah and there was a, yeah it really felt that way like like that like hey this referee might have like a, a fiver on LA minus six you know what I mean or he might have told a, a mob boss who has a gun to his kid's head that he was going to make sure that the Rams win by at least six because it's it was atrocious okay the, the holding call yikes let's that's a that's a big. That's a big. Wes Nawson. Yeah, that that is like, that's an unbelievably bad call. Uh, one, you're allowed to, to to be physical with a guy within five yards, and he gives him a nice clean release after the after the first two yards, even um, after he gives him a nice nice uh, jam at the line, which is you know how you're supposed to play press cornerback. So yeah, I don't know what the hell they're looking for there. Yeah, they're basically that, saying you are not allowed to play press man corner if that's the way that that's going to be called. That's ridiculous. So, so fine, you know, if you're going to call it tight on the corners, how about we call a pass interference then on the on, the, on a DJ Dallas trying to come back to the ball? The linebacker basically just tackles him, uh, slashes his arms before the ball is even close to him. Uh, and it was, it just, it was a makeup call. And, and for the thing those is, of you that are trying to say, God, make up, make up, make up. The other part of it is that for those of you, the, for anyone who's trying to say that the ball being uncatchable was the problem, the ball hit the <laughs> linebacker in the back while the linebacker was giving DJ Dallas a big hug. Yes. And they, they got rid of that rule a few years ago anyway. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It, it's it, it, at bare minimum. It's a defensive hold. But I, it's just, a, it was just a bad Refereeing performance from a Sean Hockley's crew has given out the most penalties this year and is considered to be the referee crew that has the strongest influence on game results. And well, we saw it in this game. Sean Hockley's crew really had a big influence on the game. Now, did the Seahawks do themselves any favors in addition to the refereeing? Nope. Uh, no. Big yeah. no. So let's start on offense. Kevin, who was your offensive? Uh, Hero in this one. 
<laughs> take yeah, your time, Kevin. It's a visual media. I pick Russell Wilson because if Russell Wilson chose to actually throw the ball competently to DK and D Eskridge on um, two of those bombs where he had DK down the sideline and under through the ball by like 15 yards and where he had a uh, D Eskridge and basically threw into double coverage instead of throwing D open, then he would have probably had like seven and a half yards per attempt and at least one touchdown. So I choose the Russell Wilson that should have been playing instead of the one that did play. That terrible cop MVP. out. Terrible cop out. I'm going. I got you. I got you. DJ Dallas. <laughs> DJ Dallas. Eleven touches, four first downs, a touchdown. Uh, really did a good job. Two missed tackles forced. Uh, he had 26 of his 41 rushing yards after contact for 3.25 yards after contact per attempt. Did a good job blocking in the pass game. Ca- caught caught those three balls. Uh, I just thought DJ Dallas had a really competent like. Uh, change of pace back game. And I think when they drafted him, that is kind of what they saw him as is his future. This is our future change of pace back. And he's kind of growing into that role. He looked a lot and like I, Alex Collins where he was running really solid and you'd see like, Oh, if you'd have noticed that hole to the right, that could have been yeah. a big run, but Oh, well, at least he lowered his shoulder and got like five yards. Mm-hmm. I do not think DJ is ever going to be that guy where he's like Chris Carson, you know, he's, he can just tote the rock and be the dude. But as a change of pace back, we've got him, We've got him here for two more years, and I think he'll be. I think he really will be good in that role. Do you think you can have a, a backfield moving forward of DJ Dallas and and Rashad Penny? Mm, I think we no, need a third Penny guy. will get hurt. Penny will get hurt. If I had confidence that Penny Penny would not get hurt, then yes. But uh, knowing Penny will get hurt, I would like to see this team bring in another person to compete at running back, or you know, just Chris Carson get healthy because Carson is under contract for one more year, so. That would work for me. I would love right. to see us spend a mid round pick on a running back this year, though, just to bring them in to compete for, you know, yeah, com- compete for Travis Homer's job, yep. like the the block god slash special teams specialist role. All right, Eric, who's your offensive hero in this one? Do you want redemption or consistency? Do it, give it to me. I'm, I'm all right. I'm let's go with the redemption think. pick. DK Metcalf. This is a guy who he does have some maturity to grow into, but. You know, six receptions, 52 yards, uh, a ton of missed opportunities that I will not put on him. Wide open a lot. Yes. and uh, but <laughs> He was frustrated but it, and for good reason. Yeah, for a guy to be frustrated, that's a guy who wants to win and who wants to be on this team. He didn't give up. And, you know, there were some games where, you know, Russ couldn't find him <laughs> early again like this. Or, you know, he just was absent and he wasn't absent in this game. Uh, for consistency, I'm going Gerald Everett. Because outside of his uh, horrendous game a couple weeks ago, oh man, this guy Gerald, is, Gerald's very bad. No good, very bad day. This yes, this guy's been uh, kind of what we want at tight end, just someone we can throw to on a consistent basis. Look what he's done throughout the year. He did this game, uh, sixty yards off uh, what four receptions. Uh, like Gerald Everett a lot. I do like that pickup, and uh, it's it, it's a kind of a silver lining in this terrible, terrible year. Can I call somebody All right. out? All right, yeah. let's do it. Oh, oh! Like as, I got as being good or bad? Uh, I, well, I'm gonna call out a media Someone... member for being bad. Oh, okay. Oh. Um, so there was a tweet by a certain uh, radio show host who uh, was calling out uh, Deskridge for having no receptions. Uh, Deskridge's <laughs> average depth of target was 33 and a half yards. Yeah, that was a horrible misuse of Deskridge. Like this was. 
a fundamental lack of understanding of how to deploy a receiver in order to create a successful game plan. Um, the Between Russ and Waldron, this was just a absolutely horrible mismanagement of the player. So Russ- uh, I am I am salty at how he was used, and I'm even saltier at someone for thinking that was somehow his fault. Russ, okay, let's talk about Russ because he was bad. Uh, Russ throwing outside left deep, 20-plus yard in the air, 0 for 4 and a pick, uh, 0 NFL rating. Uh, then outside right, 0 for 1, 39.6, and then between the numbers deep, uh, 1 for 2. Russ threw seven times of 20 – Balls of 20 plus yards got one reception. He only threw between 10 and 20 yards. The intermediate routes that we want him to throw, he did that six times. So he went for it all over and over and over again. It's the only way you're going to catch up, Nathan. I don't know how much more of this I can take because here's the thing is that we all see that greatness is a possibility for us and we've seen it in the past, but I think that run that he had at the beginning of the last season gave him a taste of something that he is chasing ever since. Not not in a way that is sustainable. You know, you have to just take what the defense gives you. And so many times there are guys running underneath for five yards in space, just ready to, to take a ball and get a little yard after catch. And, and Rush just passes that up. And you know he sees that guy, but he doesn't want that guy. He wants to throw it deep to DK. And now, especially more than ever, I mean, like, look at the play where DK DK destroyed Jalen Ramsey. He has five-plus yards of space on Jalen Ramsey. And Russ just straight up moonballs it and doesn't throw it on a line, moonballs it in there and gives the safety plenty of time to get over there. Yeah, that was a and it's full not, Taysom Hill deep ball. That was gross. Yeah. It was, it was, look, yeah, I was gonna say, I was gonna say Jalen Hurts, but it's basically the same thing. <laughs> the, the, uh, this, the, the idea just that these guys just, he his deep ball has not looked elite in the since the finger injury. And, you know, we can blame the finger injury. We can blame whatever we want. Apparently he had an ankle issue in the last game. Maybe that made it harder for him to step in and plant. But it's Russ's job to recognize those things that are going wrong and modify what he's doing to meet those things. And if he has to turn into peak Drew Brees and throw every pass 10 yards or less to a guy that's running, uh, he should do that. That's fine. That, that wins football games and right he's now. He's an accurate quarterback. He's something we know he can do. Yeah. It's... Right now, Russ is choosing to be worse because he wants to get it all on one play every time. Well, and just... so that's obvious to me and a lot of other people that Russ came back too early from his finger injury. The pin uh, was would have helped him win if he'd have left it in. Maybe <laughs> the, pin, the, the pin should have stayed in. That's that's uh, we're just writing these tweets for him. What's wrong? So, MVP, most valuable pin. So about three, four weeks after he comes back from uh, pin it to win it, uh, he starts turning into like consistent old Russ. Sorry, I got puns. It's all I've got this season. It's all we've got left. And then the last couple of games, I don't know what he's doing. And I don't know if he's mentally not there. I know he, le- he lost his best friend this offseason. I think that that is screwing with him way more than we realize. Um, and that is that's a damn shame. Uh, the off season, let's face it, he made that difficult for himself and this team, and it just feels like, you know, we there's all these like you know, the, the elephant in the room is the off season, and we'll get there at some point, but everything is pointing to it for this reason. Look at this game; he had his lowest PFF rankings ever had in his career this week. 
there were some very catchable balls, more so very catchable targets he avoided. Yeah, I just, it's tough to watch. It's tough, uh, well, especially it because back, it's... Sorry, it goes back no, to what we ahead. talked about, because the Rams are the team that uh, kind of showed the source code, that too high defense that takes away everything deep and forces you to do something else. So you can't throw deep, you can't throw to the outside. And that was the blueprint that took down the offense in the back half of last season. So what do we do? We waltz into the season and Russ basically says, I'm going to keep doing that until it works. And I just, I don't understand it because I genuinely at this point, don't think that that's how the plays are drawn up. I think that's Russ choosing to run it that way. If you look at when Gino was running the offense, that was not how the plays were drawn up. Um, I think that there's a lot of issues that we can have with uh, Shane Waldron and the way that plays are being called and the way that plays are being sequenced. But I don't know how much we can really evaluate that because of how Russ and Pete are the two consistent pieces of the offense for the last three coordinators. And through three coordinators, this offense sure looks a lot the same. Yeah, it's it's really hard. It's just super hard to watch because, you know, the talent is there and you know that the the talent is good enough to fix this problem. Right. Like they're good enough to there's good enough talent on the field all over the place. To this and people might point to like oh the pass blocking well it's the pass blocking i mean yes we allowed but allowing only eight pressures and zero sacks against aaron donald it i think is a, a huge success this pass blocking unit did not do horrible they were they were not great but you know for the 36 plays they were on the uh they were on the field to pass block the i thought they did a serviceable job uh, between you know Dwayne, damian ethan gabe and you know, Jake Curran playing right tackle. I thought they did okay. It's not the best, but like there's also plays where, you know, I feel like a lot of times Russ, you know, he does the exact wrong thing. Like when he reacts to pressure, right? Like the pressure's coming inside. He steps up into the pocket for once and takes the pressure. And another thing too. Okay. I think there's a greater Russell Wilson problem, which is that he never keeps on any of these zone read plays anymore. ever he can't and and i just think he's i don't know if he's scared to run it at this point yeah eric or if it's just like but like these designed runs where he's uh, doing a read if he keeps them he's getting eight yards ten yards there's slower quarterbacks who can who can pull off what he's doing and russ is just kind of done with that he doesn't ever keep on those zone read plays those plays are pointless and he's not really making himself a big threat to scramble anymore either right zero scramble yards in this game that kind of stuff kind of hid the his refusal to throw intermediate passes a little bit because if he if you don't sure okay yeah you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna throw an eight yard crosser uh instead of a deep ball that's fine but because you're gonna force everyone to drop back deep and then you're gonna take 10 on your feet instead that's fine that can work you can make that work that's that's still basically a a short a short pass play. You, you yeah, just yeah, pick up a short pass play with your legs. You got five yards. You got eight yards. But, but he just doesn't do it anymore. He's not running. He's not running at all. And I, I think that it's really hurt. It's really hurting the Seahawks offense. Has it's a, it, that in, that is a piece of the puzzle that I think is like just completely missing now. That's part of why we can't get first downs. I agree. I think that's a valid. I think that's a very yeah. valid point. We don't move the chains. We don't stay on the field. We once again lose time of possession. It's just it's. 
it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. I don't know how I can't, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> Just, it's hard it's, to watch. It's getting, can someone do something? But yeah, I, I don't know what to do exactly. So, all right, you guys uh, want to talk about the offense anymore? Are you ready to move on? To move the it on. Defense. All right, let's. So moving on to the defense. The defense, on the other hand, was decent. Uh, but let's start with the pressures. Okay, we got to start with. Oh, we got to actually. You know what? We got to start with what we're. I got to do the show notes the way that they're supposed to be. <laughs> Defensive hero. <laughs> All right, I'm taking the layup. Fifteen pass rushes, three sacks. You got it. And six run defenses, four run stops. That's crazy. Carlos Dunlap, take a mm-hmm. take 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 a bow. What a game. Uh, we've talked about it, the usage of Dunlap being weird. Maybe he's washed. We're not sure what's going on. Hey, um, hey, maybe hey, he just and the sixty point eight coverage grade. Yeah, yeah, yeah didn't allow us. Yeah. Oh wait, that's never mind. He did, had zero did, coverage snaps. Thank God. Yeah, didn't drop into coverage <laughs> once. Uh, hey, how about that? But you know who did drop into coverage once? Al Woods <sighs> and Poon Ford. <laughs> Al Woods. Al Woods dropped into coverage once. At least he didn't get targeted. Okay. Um. Anyway. Yeah, Carlos Dunlap, great game. Really good game. It was nice to see him kind of put put out there that, hey, you know what? I can be an important part of this rotation this year or maybe into the next year too, right? If we want to bring him back for one last ride to be our kind of specialized pass rusher. Love it. Great job by him taking advantage of, you know, a depleted offensive line for the for the Rams because of the COVID situation. So, yeah, nice job, Carlos. Uh, Eric, who's your defensive hero? LJ Collier, uh, one, one tackle on the day. I'm sorry. I just we gotta we gotta <laughs> have like, some fun. I was like I was like LJ. It was a good tackle. The one yeah. tackle was like a really important one. So I, mean, I I have that on my I have that on my list because when I saw it I was like ooh LJ Collier and then he disappeared. You know amazing. he's listening uh, and he got really excited <laughs> and he made him sad. This is why we yeah, can't yeah. get him on the podcast. And for yeah. everyone Say, listening, same with home, Urban Meyer. The reason we like, got Urban like, Meyer as a patron and <laughs> and he was called a, he, he was, was like, called a wiener and he now he's like oh, I'm done with this. He was like, finally, the respect I deserve. <laughs> the respect I deserve. And then, and, uh, then, and then he's like, oh. Since you, you took the layup, I'm going to take layup number two, and I'm going to go with consistency. The the sweet, sweet Christmas present we've got all year long, Quandre Diggs. This so guy good. is going to ask for, I think he's going to sign with us. I, I don't think we're going to lose him. I think he'll come back for a fair amount. I just have this feeling. But he's consistent. He's very good. He picked off Matthew Stafford at a good time. Granted, they played together in Detroit, but Quandre Diggs is the anchor of the defense. And let's face it, it took him a little while to to kind of show that to us on a consistent basis. And um, he just yeah. looks the part. We haven't had that anchor for a long time. Yeah, he's been really consistently solid this year. I think he's had like, what, one one game with a PFF grade under 55. Like he's just been really, really good all year. I agree. And all right, Kevin. Toxic differential, man. Forcing those turnovers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's great to have a guy back there who can make plays. Uh, all right, Kevin, give me a, I think I know who you're going to pick and I'm ready for it. All right. I'm picking somebody who I think uh, put together a good game, though the, depending on what stat line you look at, you might not quite see it. I pick Jordan Brooks. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I thought so I thought you were gonna nice. pick Jordan tackling Brooks. machine. Yes, exactly. He was exactly what we were hoping he would be. He looked like KJ in this game. Like uh all the way down to being completely misused in the past game and giving up two touchdowns. Um <laughs> but uh th- okay, so I was talking to somebody why, else about this. Why is Jordan Brooks covering covering Cooper Cup though? Why? Do, you, do you know why? 
This is a because it's Pete Carroll, man. Because Pete Carroll defense because is what Jordan we do. Brooks is being asked to do Cam Chancellor's role uh-huh. as He's a playing, curl defender. Playing, it's, it's insane. Playing robber. Yes. Playing robber. It's so stupid. That is why. So Jordan Book Brooks, for the record, for people who aren't seeing it out there, Jordan Brooks is playing functionally strong safety on a number of snaps. He is a box safety, which I don't know if you've seen the guy, but he's a linebacker. Um, that being said, uh, that boy thick. Uh, yes, that's fact. That being said, uh, he, uh, he absolutely he, yeah, he murdered def- a screen, which, you know, uh, somewhere KJ Wright shed a single tear. Between um, him and Bobby, though, they took 21 snaps in the slot last game. That's so that's, gross. It's not it's not good. Stop. And the, the thing is that the Rams are smart. So you know what they do is they, they see us do something like that. They say, Oh, you're going to put the linebacker in the slot. Here's Cooper cup in the slot a bunch of times until you, until you screw that up. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like they, they're just, it's to, just like so to clarify, uh, Jordan Brooks and Bobby Wagner each took more slot snaps than Ryan Neal. Yeah. Who's an actual defensive back. He, Ryan Neal in the slot was only in the slot three times. I don't know. I, I, I really question sometimes the way that Pete Carroll puts his guys in position to, to fail. It, he acts like he, we still have the Legion of boom defense where it's like every single guy's a Swiss army knife and every single guy can kind of play like a bunch of different positions. So you just, you just throw them out there and, and they're, they're going to do good. It's like, this is not that dude. You have to set these guys up to succeed better. Yep. If you have Jordan Brooks plays the, was the outside guy on a play in this game. If like, Jordan was Brooks out- was playing the KJ role and uh, Jamal Adams, when healthy, was playing the Cam Chancellor role. We'd have a more effective overall defense. You don't pay that much for a Cam Chancellor, but um, that was not part of the decision I was given in this. Uh, that being said, Jordan Brooks, have yourself a day. Tackling machine, third, top third five. in the league. Third in the league. Third yeah. in the league in tackles. Um, and he's he's right on the tail in number two. We could end up with the top two tacklers in the league. Um, Bobby is Bobby has been trending down in terms of tackle numbers. Uh, but he's still on pace with the 18 game season. Bobby's still on pace to, to get close to the record. So we, we could see a record breaking season for Bobby as well. Yeah. But th- those two guys got targeted 15 times. Like we got to stop making them such an obvious it's... Uh, area to target. Like it's just so obvious for you cannot let Sean McVay, a guy who is really smart, just have such an obvious weakness to attack, right? Yep. You have to do something to This to isn't kind of... anything new, though. It's not like it just started happening this year. It's something the Pete Carroll era defense has done ever since we got bad. Do you feel like, do you feel like Pete's playing checkers and, every, and some of these offensive coordinators are playing chess? And, and we're I feel like that of... is, honestly, I feel like super unfair to say. Yeah, that's exactly how it looks. He's yep. like one step behind. There's little things where he's like, no, we're just going to keep running it. You keep saying it best of all. He keeps trying to run a scheme with a, with a defensive roster he does not have. I don't think it's I a think... coincidence that Dan Quinn went to Dallas and was able to focus on just the defense and then was able to deploy players in a fashion that kind of got the most out of them and helped turn that unit around. I think that Pete needs somebody to handle a lot of that on-field stuff. Because what he does is he manages personality. If you look at everywhere Pete's been extremely successful, it's been because there's a talent gap between the squad he has and the squad everyone else has. And all he has to do is help them keep their heads on straight and motivated to try and win. That's what it was at USC. And that wasn't what it was in the Legion of Boom days. Yeah, the the um, 
Good job. Big big props to the cornerbacks just in general. Sidney Jones has been a very good trade. I was like 50-50 on it. He, I think he has proved out that he is pretty solid uh, backup corner. I thought Blessing Austin did fine. You know, he's targeted twice, didn't give up a reception. Uh, the bad penalty, but I do not think that, that you can really blame him for that. That was a terrible call. Uh, not not his fault. I do think these cornerbacks today that played in that game too did a good job coming up and tackling. Uh, that's something that cornerbacks have done in the Pete Carroll era. And I thought, you know, Sidney Jones made an open field tackle on Darrell Henderson. I think that that was really solid. I think that was a and frustrating I, thing about Flowers and everybody else we've had since then has done a really good job of that. Yeah, so I, I thought the defense played fine. Not a great game, not a, like a an A-plus performance, but nice, a solid B-plus. Like well this enough is, to win. The de- the defense played good enough to win. Exactly. They played good enough to win. And, you know, the, between the refs and our offense, they they did not. Uh, Michael Dixon is the Pro Bowl alternate. Uh, that is highway robbery. Another, yeah. another another couple punts inside the 20. He set a Seahawks record for punts inside the 20 with still three games left to play. So he's obviously doing real well there. Uh, Jason Myers, hit. he made the field goal. Good, Good job by you. <laughs> I don't have to say about Jason Myers. He's he's solid. We'll just wait until next uh, he, season because he's only yeah. good every other season. Yeah, as I say, he's been okay this year. Like a lot of people are down on him. I mean, twelve for seventeen is not inspiring confidence, but you know, he under forty yards, he's only missed one, and he's made most of his extra points. He's he's fine. He's been fine this year. He, I expect more from how much we're paying him. Also, just his picture on Pro Football Focus is like unsettling. <laughs> if you if he's on his profile, he is smiling real big. Okay, uh, that's pretty much all I have about this game. Do you guys want to, to to jump in a little bit? Anything uh, else? Or we you want to? No, I've interrupted you plenty of times. I don't. I don't know. I Eric, Eric, you got anything else? Or you want to? Oh, I'm. You know this. Uh, we could just go on about this game forever. All right. Next week we play the Bears. Uh, no wait. Yes, we play the Bears. Play the Bears. Yes, we play. We play the Bears. The Bears have Justin Fields. Okay, so Justin Fields, he's a half re- he's a half field read guy. So basically what you want to do if you want to be successful with Justin Fields is you want to give him two reads on the same side of the field, and he reads both those guys, and if neither of them are open, he runs. That's basically what you should do if you want to be successful with him. It took Matt Nagy like five weeks to figure that out, which is pretty stunning to me because he had kind of the same guy in Mitchell Trubisky. Yes, he did. Like and a, he got a guy, a, guy, a guy who can read half the field really well and, and then run. And uh, this is like the better version because I don't know if you've seen Justin Fields can really run. He's not like Trubisky where he can like, yeah, he can get you nine yards. You know, he's like a nice solid runner. This guy can run Lamar Jackson. Like this guy is electric. He's basically he's basically like slightly less runner, slightly better passer. Lamar Jackson, like yeah, Lamar Jackson about- comp is legit. It's very, it's a very similar, similar play. Yeah, he's a better, a little better thrower. He can really, he made, he's made a couple of throws this year though that have been very impressive. Uh, Justin Fields is, has a bright future. Our defense is playing really good though. I don't expect him to give us like a ton of trouble. Uh, the Bears are a team that will just run the ball and then stick with the run. They're four and ten. They're not good. Uh, I mean, I guess you could say the same thing about us. Uh, but I, I do think yes. we're a better a better team than than this Bears team. Uh, Robert uh, Quinn's basically their entire pass rush. Their coverage unit is injured, beat up as hell. Um, it, it really comes down to like, can we bottle up Justin Fields? Like, if if we can bottle up Justin Fields and not let him be destroy us, we're probably good. And I think you, you're going to see a lot of Jordan Brooks spying Justin Fields. Yep. Um, 
Jordan Brooks is going to be tasked with the big job of like making sure Justin Fields doesn't destroy us. Because and he's good at that. It's yeah. And I was gonna say he's, he's something fast. he did in college, and he's really fast and he's really strong. So we're gonna hope that he could do it. And he has a really good understanding of angles. Go back and watch his tape against Kyler Murray, and uh, watch his tape against Oklahoma State. And those are two running quarterbacks, and you can see he does this great job of just. Because normally what a running quarterback wants you to do is they want you to overcommit in one direction. And then a good running quarterback, a Kyler Murray, a uh, Justin Fields, will then just cut back and make you look stupid and then take off for 50 yards. And instead, he basically just gives him a little bit of space and doesn't commit in either direction and forces him to either... Like it basically forces the quarterback to choose which way he's running before he commits or forces them to try and throw it over him. Neither of those things are something a quarterback wants to do. And so um, one more thing about the bears Uh, last week, they played the, they played the Vikings uh, and Akeem Hicks came back. So you said before uh, Robert Quinn is basically their whole pass rich, but the return of Akeem Hicks was actually really big for them last week. They, they stayed in that game against Minnesota, a game in which, they were missing all four of their starting defensive backs because of uh, COVID. That's bad. So they were they were missing all four. We haven't we didn't even talk about how the NFL moved the game back to Tuesday oh. too. And how annoying that was. Yeah, I'm um, glad that they care about some teams, not about others. It's real it's, equal anyway. Such, I don't even want to talk about it. Stupid. I'm just gonna say it's 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 extremely inconsistent, unfair, and annoying because they set the rules. The NFL was ready to make the Rams forfeit. And then J.C. Treader says that they stepped in so that teams could keep their paychecks, paycheck, paychecks. Hmm. And so because that's what happens if there's a forfeit game, everyone loses their paychecks. I understand it, but man, it does feel like oh, they changed the rules. Advantage for only some teams. Yeah. Yeah. They changed the rules on the fly. And because of the nature of this outbreak, which is we're seeing uh, Omicron be very, very, it spreads a lot easier, right? It spreads a lot easier than any of the variants. I think I read somewhere it's like 70 times more or maybe it was seven times. I don't know. I'm tired, but <laughs> it was, it's, it's a many times more transmissible than the past variants. Um, and so, yeah, more guys are going to test positive, right? That's just what's going to happen. And they're just changing the rules on the fly in a way that that directly benefited the Rams and hurt us because we lost guys in the build up to the game. Yep. You know, we lose Brian Monet. We lose we lose guys who Brandon Shell, guys who might have mattered in this game, who might have given us a better chance to win. Anyway, back to the Bears. Bears got Akeem Hicks back. He hasn't played since week nine. He plays plays last week against Minnesota against the they have a Minnesota has a questionable offensive line. Uh, and and as as do the Seahawks, we've said this before. Minnesota is kind of like the the shadow Seahawks. They have a very similar kind of thing going on with them. Uh, Akeem Hicks returns gets two sacks. I do think he's going to be a problem this week. We they hit him him being back and playing is bad for us because now they have multiple guys on the defensive line. Like you said before, before when it's just Robert Quinn, I do feel like the Seahawks could do a good job bottling out. If they can come at us from multiple angles, plus Tommy Graham Jr. coming out and playing outside corner and just killing it last week, now gives Chicago another option in their secondary. Like, yeah, because Johnson should be back, I believe. Which so that gives them a couple of legit corners, which is not my favorite thing. Yeah, like they because Minnesota can throw the ball. They have KJ Osborne. They have Justin Jefferson. They bottled those guys up. They did not get killed by those guys. And when by all rights, they should have been getting killed by those guys. 
Um, I mean, for, for Christ's sake, Tease Tabor was their, their starting safety, Kevin. Yeah, and uh, Tease Tabor, for the record, <laughs> is bad. Like, yeah, it's not he, if I remember correctly, he got cut by the Texans. Yeah, Tease Tabor, dude. I love Tease Tabor, but but uh, I I'm so, I was Great so surprised guy. to see him. I was so surprised to see him. Um, yeah, and but yeah, Tease Tabor had a call last week that was very uh, much like the Bless Austin call. It was just like guy playing football gets called for penalty. Yep. <laughs> Any anyway, um, yeah, I I think Chicago's dangerous. I I do not underestimate them this week. There we are not leagues better than them, as I would have said at the beginning of the season. Uh, Justin Fields is dangerous. This defense is playing. Uh, the Chicago Bears defense is playing a lot better than uh, than expected. Their quarter, their uh, coach is equally a dinosaur, so no advantage or disadvantage there. Yeah, that's just <laughs> that's just a wash. Their coaches are so stupid. Matt Nagy's awful. All right, um, I think we need to before we do picks. I think we need to just like give like a like a big picture. Uh, what do you want to see in this Seahawks offseason? So we don't have a first round pick. We have sixty million in cap room. We have several players approaching free agency. Um, we're going to have many weeks to talk about this, but I just want you to give me the cliff notes version, Eric. What, what is, what is you, what are you seeing? What do you want to see? What kind of strategy are you looking for from the Seahawks heading into soft season? Is this a retool? Is this a rebuild? Where are you at with the Seahawks? Wow. That's such a deep question because do I want to, what do I want to see? We have how much, how much money are we going to have? Something like 68 million. 66 six, yeah six it's 60 something but then we have to pay a lot of like oh, what are they called void years i think they're called so yes. so yeah yeah we have to pay some and void we years. won't have a first round draft pick because of great decisions and we don't even know if pete's gonna be here that's i i have a feeling pete's gonna be here which i gotta be honest i think that's gonna bum me out i think i'm <laughs> I think my heart is set on oh, Pete Carroll being gone, which is really sad because he's brought us to two Super Bowls. I do love that guy quite a bit. I just, it feels like it's time. I mean, I'll just ask the podcast. Do you see him coming back in the next three years and winning a Super Bowl? Do you see us coming back in the next three years winning a Super Bowl with Pete Carroll? Oh, uh, are we going to win a Super Bowl? No. Okay. Are we going to get to a Super Bowl? No. I no. That's unlikely. So, so what are we doing then? Like, uh, are we just keeping it here because we want to bring back Griffey for one more season so we can sleep in the clubhouse? What are we doing here? Are we, are we just going to settle for just letting the team age out? So first thing, I guess I want to see a new regime. And I don't know if that means John Schneider's out. I think I want to keep John Schneider. Don't, I can't really give you any facts as to why. I just think I do. I think he drafts a little better than Pete. Um, if you listen to some of like the NFL films or articles on, you know, draft recaps of the past, there are some great players we'd miss, but there are other players that Pete obviously did not value as high as John Schneider, Russell Wilson being one of them. Um, beyond that, I think it is a somewhere between a rebuild and a retool, meaning being competitive next year, but you're not going to shoot for the moon. You're just going to shoot for getting better and building your team. And that can mean anything from Russ isn't here. See you later. Welcome to New York or welcome to the Giants or welcome to the Cowboys. And Pete is not here. And we have some other person as a coach who I, I Kevin can tell you who that could be. So right, that's, yeah. that's what I want to see. And what I think is, I think I want to see what I think is likely. All right, Kevin, what do you think? Are you, uh, are you 
Are you a uh, retool or rebuild? Uh, I'm retool because I think the change has to happen at the coaching level. Um, it's. I would rather see us move on from just Pete than move on from just Russ. Though if we were to move on from both and decide for a rebuild, I think that's an understandable decision. I just feel like we still have um, we still have a top five quarterback in the NFL. And uh, I would like to see what happens if we build a complimentary roster to that. Um, I think if I were running out with my shopping list, uh, I am looking at uh, significant purchases. I think you said it best, which is instead of, you know, uh, shopping in the bargain bin and looking for, uh, you know, instead of looking for a store brand uh, offensive tackles yeah. and guards, I, I yeah. want to go ahead and get the premium name brand product. So you're done. You're done. Uh, you're done with the uh, sign. Uh, 10 guys who cost $6 million instead. Instead, let's go ahead and be the team that goes out and signs uh, four guys that are 15 Corey, or Corey, Corey Lindsley or uh, who's the left. Who's the yeah. If we end up walking team. out with like Brandon Scherf or yeah, uh, if we pick up Riley reef to come in and play left tackle next year or Brian Bulaga or whatever, like be the team mm-hmm. that signs the guy who's actually great. Not the, the team that, yeah, if we go out and uh, try and chase down Teron Armstead, Um, you know, uh, I, I, I feel like if we're going to be spending money, we keep, uh, losing on the margins with these players. I'd rather pay 2 million too much for a guy who's actually good than pay 1 million too much for a bunch of guys who are kind of roster depth. And the other thing too, is that I think people don't realize how much playing next to someone who is truly great will make the guys who are not that good better. Yeah, or one good like, tackle period. Talk about a look, lot. look at look at look at the Rams defense. It is Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, and then like guys. Like they they don't have another guy on that team who's like a like a perennial Pro Bowler or even like a very great defender. But it doesn't matter. Those guys drag the level of all the other guys on that defense up because they do their jobs so good that it makes everyone else's job easier. When Aaron Donald's getting double and triple teamed on every play, it's a lot easier for Michael Brockers to go out there and have a game. You know, it's 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 it, it's just we need we need some guys on our on our units who completely dominate their position because that loosens up everyone else to, to give their themselves a job that is maybe more manageable for their skill level. Yeah. So, so that's, I so. want to see uh, us pursue an offensive line that can block for us um, and free him up and see what happens if we let him throw behind a line that gives him a little bit more time, a little bit more assuredness in his ability to do so. Um, also our run blocking has not been what it needs to be. And we know the role that run blocking plays at the running back position. And we have a guy, Penny's got juice. Carson's got juice. Those are two guys where you handle the ball and they can hit the hole hard and they can immediately be three yards deep into the defense. If you have a offensive line that can be blocking them back two yards, then you're suddenly instead of two and three yard runs, you're looking at five and six yard runs routinely. And how does that change the complexion of what things look like? So, yeah, I feel like we need a couple of dudes on the offensive line. I feel like we need um, I, we need to address uh, pass rush because I think Daryl Taylor 
is going to be the guy, and he could be the guy as early as next season. But I think we need another piece to go along with him. Um, I like the idea of keeping uh, Rasheem Green, uh, not only because nobody can say his name nationally, and I find that both funny and sad, but also because he's a good like depth <laughs> pass rusher. If you add in, you know, okay, so we keep Dunlap where we get a similar guy who can be a bit of a situational pass rusher. And then we get another dude who can be across from Dale Taylor and be an every down pass rusher, whether it's in the draft or it's free agency. Um, I think that we're going to set our defensive backs up to be a lot more successful because I do think that rolling into next season with Trey Brown and uh, DJ Reed penciled in as our starters is okay provided we are three deep behind them with guys that we think are Sidney Jones level. I want three dudes sitting behind them because we've seen defensive backs uh, are getting hurt all over the league and uh, health at that position group is there and offensive line are the two places where consistency among who plays is extremely important. So I need a guy off the street to come into play corner is really difficult because you know, uh, think about Quandre at the beginning of the season. And he was sitting there going, I don't know what my corners are doing in front of me. I can't do my job. Suddenly the defensive backfield settles down and Quandre Diggs has been off on a tear with interceptions. That is not a coincidence. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. what I'm looking at. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. I'm, I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to save this conversation for later in the season, but this team needs to be willing to blow it up. If the, if things don't go right with them very quickly in free agency, um, they need to be able to very quickly shift gears into like, okay, it's it, cause this is a, this team is at a crossroads. And I think the worst thing that could happen is they decide they're going to run it back. Right. And then they go into this off season looking to be aggressive. They don't sign any guys. And then now we're at the end of the off season signing the, Oh, they were the dre- in it for the this dregs guy, again. but they got that. Oh, they were in it for Riley Reef, but they ended up getting, uh, you know, uh, the backup tackle from, uh, you know, a mediocre team. Yeah, it's that's that's what I don't want. Don't don't uh, just please don't don't be that team. If 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 you strike out early in free agency and we're not getting any of the big names and and none of the none of the guys are coming to play for us, it might be time to just like hit the hard reset button and say, "Okay, but what do we need to do now to get this team young? What do we need to do to get this team a few more draft picks?" You know, is that I'm going to say some very gross things that are going to make people mad, but like, you you know, are we going to need to sign and trade DK? Are we going to, or, you know, trade away DK like we did with Frank Clark? Are we going to need to do stuff like that? Like that's, are that's we kind of play the hardball with Lockett because we might need to free up that money. Yeah, exactly. Like do you, they Lockett's need... such a nice guy. He'll probably, he'll give, he'll figure it out. Yeah, I don't know, man. He's probably we a lot do, of we do with Wagner where we lock, up, <laughs> <laughs> where we uh, basically convert it into a signing bonus. And then, um, basically give them cash in order. Yeah, to like what's Bobby's something. next contract look like? That's something they need to start thinking That's about too. That's the sad thing is, is there another Bobby contract? What's going on? Uh, there? I mean, did we want that Cam contract? Did we, this is why we didn't have a KJ contract or an Earl contract. Also remember, right. Shell's a free agent. I feel like what's happening at the two tackle spots is extremely important. I feel like that that's the thing. We're in a position once again where we need two tackles, a center, and maybe a guard, depending on what everyone thinks of Gabe Jackson. I'd be willing to give him another year. 
Yeah, I, I'm the same. I mean, yeah, Teron Armstead is the guy, right? Like that's the guy that if if you if we're pushing all the chips in, if we're trying to be winners, like if we're trying to to win free agency, you know, we're getting Teron Armstead. We're getting in Orlando Brown Jr. Like those are the guys we need to be in on those guys. We need to be in on Brandon Scherf. We need to be in on like all of these guys that are offensive linemen. Yeah, if and, the, the worst guy that we could get roll out at left tackle would be I think Riley Reif is a functional left tackle. He's a guard. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe. Or I'm talking about Brandon Scherf. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Scherf. Brandon, Brandon Scherf could be good, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that'd be a legitimate though. player to pick up. And then another thing, too, is like, you know, the, the thing is, this is a really good wide receiver class for free agency. Like, there are guys who are probably just going to sit around, like Juju Smith Schuster and stuff, that are going to get like a one year, $7 million deal that would be perfectly fine. It, it, you know, like we can we can mitigate the the loss of DK if we go get Will Fuller and, and Will Fuller and Juju Smith Schuster for the same price as we we're going to pay DK, and we get two first round picks for our trouble. Like that's not an absurd thing to do. I know it's like a hard pill to swallow, but if we're going to keep Russ and Pete, those are the kind of decisions this team's going to need to make because they they did find a uh, they found a hundred dollar bill in the couch when he fell all the way to the end of the second round, and uh, if they're not going to make good use of it, which just watching the Seahawks games, it doesn't seem like they are. They don't give him any targets. Um, you might as well get something else that you or can do. Or they force feed the... twelve to him when only like six of them are catchable, and he catches hey, five. You, use that money, you you know, trade him. Use that money to sign uh, Leonard Fournette and three offensive linemen. You know what I mean? Like, be be the team that you want to be if that's what you want to yeah, do. I want to like, see us like... in on Ryan Jensen at center this year. <laughs> yeah. Just get get in there. Go get be like, oh, yeah, you know what? Let's revamp the whole offensive line. We went and got, you know, we went and got Jensen. We went and got Sheriff and we got Orlando Brown. Like this is now a whole new offensive line and we're going to just kill everyone. And we yeah, got a coaching staff that will actually just ram the ball down the defense's throat. All right, let's Bears picks. Uh, I'm going to go. The secret power is broken. We, it, it died last week. So let's go with um, Seahawks 28, Bears 24. Kevin? Um, I think that aside from a couple of um, rushing touchdowns for fields, we're going to bottle up their offense pretty well. So I'm going to have Seahawks 24, 24-13. Uh, Seahawks 23 because they're not going to score so much that it's a blowout. They'll score just enough to to look all right, which is 23 points. And then the Bears, I don't trust the Bears. I think that they're going to surprise more on defense than they will on offense. I'm putting them at 12, which comes to a score of 23 to 12. All right. There are many ways to support the Seahawks Nest Podcast. The best way to do so, head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. And for as little as $1.24 a month, get access to the Patreon Picks podcast already up for this week. The Schwamm has returned. Uh, and yeah, thanks to those 74 active patrons. Uh, I uh, And uh, oh, and there there should be uh, in the Discord this week a little, a little uh, Christmas spirit for everyone. A little, uh, little holiday magic. Look out for that. There's a giveaway. There's going to be a giveaway in the Discord. So keep your eye out for that. So thanks to those who support the show. Andy, Brett, Greta, James, Carrie, Lucas, Ryan, Timothy, Tom, Emmanuel, Astro, Bob, Casey, Daniel, David. Do it all for the Tucci. Phloctomus, Foles, Jay, Leon, Michelle, Mike, Mike, Richard, Thomas, Warwolf, Brandon, and Nick. All right. Oh, and our, our first and forever sponsor, Washington Fish Quest. Washington Fish Quest. Okay. Um, we're going to talk about today the best. We're going to decide. 
uh, our the best Christmas Carol movie. We're gonna come to a, a final decision. We have to decide. Uh, okay, so I, I I got a list here of like five that I think are all really good. But let's start it off with Eric. Oh, starting off with me. Yeah, okay, I, I, I'm going off grid, so I, I know it, that's good. And I think you, both you and Kevin, can be flexible. So I just kind of picked at random. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll bring up the classic, the classic side of this uh, this debate, the classic movie of Scrooge. So there's, uh, you know, when we were looking through all the versions of the Christmas Carol, Nathan and Kevin were just like shouting out years and actors, and I was like, yes, that is this version, that is this year. Uh, just a fan of the story, I really love it. And um, so if you look at the classic story of Scrooge where they play it very serious, like uh, what is it? Uh, 1935, the guy with the crazy eyebrows, 1938, Reginald Owen, uh, 1957, I think with Alistair Sim. And then there was like a, a, a what a 30, a 30 year gap where they came out with uh, 1984's a Christmas Carol made for TV adaptation starring uh, George C. Scott, one of my favorite dead Americans, uh, surrounded by a cast of nothing but British people filmed, <laughs> yep. filmed, filmed in Britain. <laughs> yes. Filmed uh very, very, very British in England uh, in uh, classic, classical Def- village. This, great sets. This is really good, but it does have that made for TV feel to it. Doesn't it? Like, yeah, but you know what? Having seen it when it dropped, when I was like, what, seven or eight, I, maybe that's why I like it so much. I also like that. It's probably the best adaptation from the book. Which, uh, mm-hmm. if you've ever read that, it's it's like a uh, it's like a novelette or whatever. It's not it's not really a long story. It's like a short story, and it's not it's not full of all these great details or symbolism. It's very straightforward, which is why it you know I think it's been adapted so much. But the performances are great. Uh, there is nothing really funny in this movie. Uh, I just really like the way it tells the story, and for me. Uh, the Ghost of Christmas Present, played by the guy, I think his name was Anthony Edwards, maybe? That could be Goose from Top Gun. The, ghost of, Christmas, the ghost of Christmas uh, Present? Edward Woodward. That's Edward what I said. Woodward. I had an Edward in there, so give me give me the give me the point. Uh, he played the Equalizer on the old TV show, The Equalizer. He's like a poor man's Michael Caine, and he is the best Ghost of Christmas Present. Maybe him and the one from Mickey's Christmas Carol. Uh but he's so serious. Like he'll say things. Is that things the one where he like a... uh, has like the kind of Santa style hat, but he looks like Jesus about the head? Yes. Yeah. He looks like Father Christmas straight up, and he'll say, you know, like he's like, "Spirit, is is Tiny Tim gonna die?" And he's like, "If he dies, let him die. It'll decrease the surplus population." And you know, it's that's like the line. But then he just leans into Scrooge, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm using your words against you. So next time, you hold your tongue." Like he's just so intense. Like. You're going to burn for this. Makes him feel terrible. And he just kind of smiles and rubs it off. Very, uh, very intense. And uh, I just I just love this movie. I think that this is going to lose and that if any of our patrons uh, watch this, they'd be like, eh, it's, it's it sucks. I don't like it. Too boring. I, I hard disagree because here's the thing. Um, and I think Nathan kind of hit on it. Uh, this version of A Christmas Carol, of a Christmas Carol basically looks like uh, Clive Donner went out and found a stage crew that was doing a really, really good version of A Christmas Carol on like uh, an off-Broadway performance. Okay. And then he was like, okay, all of you, you're coming with me. Don't bother changing out your costume. Keep the same costume. It's cool. 
Um, pick up that tree over there. Uh, go ahead and bring some of the fake snow. Just grab a handful. All right, we're going to come over to this movie set, and we're just going to film it. Because all these people look, sound, and when you look at the experience, are stage actors and actresses. And it has yes. a very theatrical feel, which in one way does make it look a little made for TV, um, like Nathan said. But in the other way, I feel like it gives it a little bit of charm. Like it, it looks like and feels like a stage adaptation. And I actually like that part of it because I think the performances are really good. And I think, um, everyone looks I think so those poor resonate. and hungry. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone looks so poor and hungry in this, which is honestly back at that time. It's that's about right. So, yeah, I, yeah. I would actually, I would go to bat to defend uh, yours as saying that it's a, it's a really solid adaptation. Um, however, uh, it, you see, why have a poor man's Michael Caine when you can have Michael Caine? <laughs> is, th- is this the most af- emotionally affecting Michael Caine performance? It might be. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about this when I was like... Because uh, he is acting his ass off in this movie. Uh, um, we're talking about Muppets Christmas Carol, if you didn't yeah, already The Muppet it. Christmas Carol, 1992, uh, Brian Henson directed... Um, this is my favorite adaptation of A Christmas Carol. Uh, number one, it's under 90 minutes. So it's a tight retelling of the story, but it doesn't cut out important things. Um, it's kind of cool because the way the Muppets are blended in with real live people, it just kind of works in that way that the Muppets always work. I uh, I feel like it hits all the notes of both Muppets and A Christmas Carol. If you don't think Marley and Marley slaps, then you and I do not operate on the same emotional wavelength. That is just a statement. You said it's the most affecting performance from Michael Caine, but you don't think that he's carried a little bit by Kermit in, in this movie? <laughs> okay, I, I have a, I have a significant problem with this movie, though. What What is up with the ghost of Christmas past in this movie? It's like, it's not a Muppet or a person. It's like a weird, like, I don't even know what the I hell thought, it is. I knew the, you were going to bring this up. It's very, um, it's, it's very un-Muppety. I thought it was a very brave choice because every time I watch this and I watch it every year now, it's uh, streaming on Disney Plus. It's, it's, it's like the one thing that takes me out of the movie. Oh, you know, that yeah, for the, sure. Wait, wait, it takes wait, wait, me way out of the movie. Wait, wait, you know the problem with the, uh, Disney, with the Disney Plus version, right? It is what? the theatrical version. And so it cuts out. Um, a really important song. Uh, so, uh, is it another song from the Rats, Kevin? No, it's um, uh, the Love Is Gone, the song that is a kid that you hate, but then as an adult you're like, oh man, that's mm. actually really important to the character. Uh, so, I, uh, Michael Caine, uh, when he was uh, a younger man, fell in love as the story goes in a Christmas Carol, and ended up um, giving up on love in exchange for money. And uh, in cool. Muppet Christmas Carol, there's a really emotional song um, that's called The Love Is Gone. And that was cut from the theatrical version because they were like, this will not work for kids. And they're absolutely right. Hmm. It doesn't work for kids, but it does make the movie better. And so it, if you watch only the available uh, on Disney YouTube. Plus version, it doesn't have that. That's good to so, know. I got to check hear, that out. I want to hear a quote about this movie, which is, I think, like, uh, tells you a lot about why it's good. Brian Henson later offered the role to Michael Caine, who replied, I'm going to play this movie like I'm working with the Royal Shakespeare Company. I will never wink. I will never do anything Muppety. 
I'm going to play Scrooge as if it is an utterly dramatic role and there are no puppets around me. And it's 100% why this movie works. Yep. Yes. This movie works because he plays it like perfectly straight, acts as hard as he can. And uh, it just it, it makes the whole thing work. I also, mean, when, he said Muppety, which is when, what I just said about two minutes ago. Good when, call, Muppety. You know, I often when, think of you getting Muppety with me, and then I get I'm, I'm quite Muppety. <laughs> when Rizzo the Rat kisses Gonzo on the nose. Wait for gets his jelly beans uh, and squeezes through the fence and then squeezes back through after they climbed over. Okay. Um, I want to give a big shout out to Mickey's Christmas Carol. Uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol... 26 minutes long but somehow does not cut out anything that is uh somehow tells the whole story and gives the it's movie absolutely cliff uh, version emotion- but yes it's the whole emotional story. it gives the movie like the movie still has that emotional uh thrust that the, that um, that the movie should an incredible feat for a 25 minute uh, it's actually <laughs> it really 24 is. minute 24 minute children's cartoon retelling it's got one that, song that's perfect it's that three re- ghosts that- are really good they they made this movie to attach to a re-release of the rescuers like it's ridiculous like this movie shouldn't exist but it's and why it should would not the ghost of christmas present that's me and it shouldn't be good either but it is um it's that i want to <laughs> yeah with yogurt uh, i got you know and i want to give it like i want to give it so you guys picked the two that were my two favorites but i want to give a big shout out to to um uh, if you like Brit- old British uh, comedy stuff, if you're into that, there's a old British show called Blackadder. It stars Rowan Atkinson. Yeah, it has like it has like every British person in it. Uh, Stephen Fry's in it. Hugh Laurie, Jim Broadbent, like all of your favorite, like, you know, 50 plus year old British comedians are in this show. And uh, they did a Christmas Carol episode. And it's basically like um Ebenezer Blackadder starts out as the nicest person in the world and then the ghosts come to him and they show him like his ancestors and how they were all kind of jerks and at first he's like oh yeah that means I'm better than them that's great but then they show him a a future where he's a jerk and then his future ancestors become like you know really powerful or whatever and he's like oh i gotta start being a jerk so it's like an anti-telling like by the end of the movie he's like a bitter vengeful greedy old man who insults everyone he comes upon um and he insults jim broadbent who's playing prince albert and and uh it's 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 a it's funny it's it's pretty good robbie coltrane is the spirit of christmas too which i think is just awesome i love i effing love robbie coltrane i would like do, if I made movies, I would just have him be in anything. That's Hagrid, if you guys, uh, people who are listening, are not placing it. But yeah, Rowan Atkinson is the is playing uh, Scrooge, and he's Blackadder. Just a delight funny. anyway. Yeah, and it's just if you like like um old British comedy stuff. All right, um, okay. So we we, gotta, we have to we have to discuss okay. a movie. You can uh you can award um you can award your movies uh by points. I mean I I don't know Eric what would you give each of these movies? I they're all like three and a halfs to me. That's the problem. It's like I have trouble separating them out. Should we let the should we let the Patreon decide what the best one is? I think so. It's it's Christmas why 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 oh. poop on the And we have to bring up we movies. have to bring up one movie that I think people are going to bring up and they're going to say, yep. "Oh, this is the best Christmas carol movie." And they're going to say Scrooge is the best one. And I'm going to tell you why Scrooge is not the best one. Because 75 minutes into a 100 minute movie, I should not still think Scrooge is an incorrigible asshole. And that is what happens in this movie. I'm like almost to the end of the movie and I still hate Scrooge with like Full on, I'm like this His guy's redemption arc is minimal. What it's happens like, at 75 minutes? Is that when he knocks out the lady, the television <laughs> sensor? I can't remember, but I just know like show me a basi- nipple. Basically, most of the way into this movie, he's still a dick, and it's like I I can't I can't with this. I, it's a fun movie, but it is not have the um, 
See, I, I will just say the redemption arc there. It, it's. It I don't know. I. Uh, I liked it. No, because it happens <laughs> in the Ghost of Christmas uh, future. Like you know, his uh, his secretary's son is in a mental hospital. He doesn't like that. The woman he loves has become who he's become. He hates that. And then his, you know, his family has to watch him die, and he has nothing. That's like that jump right there is a little. Is a little much, this, but everything else I, just, I did like. I feel like it this took way st- too long on the setup, and uh, the act one is too long, and the act three is too short. I agree. With they're you. trying to be they're trying to be super uh, funny, which you know. Yeah, but Carol I, I think it's. Them. Don't get me wrong. I watch this movie every once in a while. I don't like hate it. I just don't love it like like other people do. I mean, what's the best part of this movie? The ghosts, man. I mean, the two it's, ghosts. Nah, it's yeah, Bob, it's Bob, it's Bobcat Gold, Gold, Goldwave. Uh, anyway. Ah, Gold. you, you dumb dog, you. It's, it's the best <laughs> line in the movie. All right. Anyway. Uh, okay. So tell us, go into the Discord. Tell us your favorite Christmas Carol movie. Uh, tell me why I'm an idiot for not loving Scrooge. For Kevin, for Eric, we'll see you guys next week. Go Hawks.